Good morning and welcome to Glendale Christian Church. My name is Andrew Kirshner. I'm the lead minister here at GCC, and I'm so grateful that you've decided to worship with us this morning. When it comes to worship, when it comes to living for God, the number one thing is our mind. If we have the mind of Christ, if we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us, compelling us, leading us, changing us, our minds are not what they once were. Our minds once separated from the will of God, cut off from goodness, are now, if in Christ, described as having the mind of Christ. We have the Spirit of God who reveals to us the deep things of God within Now, there are those without the Spirit of God, and those without the Spirit of God are also wrestling with God in their minds. Now, there are some who are opponents of God's truth, and these are to be gently instructed in the hope that God will lead them to repentance, in the hope that God will lead them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses, a mind word, and in so doing, turn to God, escaping the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. But there are also those without the Spirit who are not merely opponents, but they are those who are of depraved minds. Now, the difference between those who are opponents of the truth and those who are of depraved minds is this. The opponent of God still has room for truth to change his mind. He, with a depraved mind, has made his choice, has cast his lot, and has decided firmly that even though the truth may be presented and the Spirit may seek to convict, this person rebuffs, rejects, and opposes Not just the truth, but God himself. And we see that in this world, there are many, many people who are both opponents and those with depraved minds. And it's kind of a sad thing to think about how far people have fallen away from God. But the text that we will explore today, even though it is the pinnacle of animosity towards those without God, also has encouragement for us if we rightly know how to explore the Word of God. If you've got your Bibles with you, would you please turn open to the book of 2 Timothy? We'll be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you have your scriptures with you, go ahead and follow along. If not, you can follow along on the screens behind me. If you are able, would you stand for the reading of scripture in awe of God's Word? 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. 
They're the kind who worm their way into the homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You may be seated. This text is not the bright, shiny, optimistic, generally very positive text that sometimes we hear from the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit in the books of First and Second Timothy. No, no, no. Paul is on, he's on a very serious course of correction. And in the Greek language, it's a really, really funny, fascinating tale because the first five verses are like one sentence and it's a really, really long, awesome run-on of 19 words and phrases that Paul strings together highlighting those without the Spirit of God and how rotten and awful they can be in their minds. It's, it's the pinnacle of Paul's treatise against sinfulness in the pastoral epistles. And having already just come, in, come on the heels of such encouraging texts out of chapter 2, and now following the very tail end of 2, we hear this. Mark this. In the last days, there will be terrible times. Now, the last days are simply a really long period of time from the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus to the second return of Jesus. Jesus came to earth to save us from our sins. And after he died upon the cross, in our place, for we were the ones who deserved sin, but Jesus said, no, no, I will take care of this. You see, it had always been God's plan that sin be taken care of and paid for. Sin, by the way, is anytime somebody does something against God's will. Whether that person intentionally rebels against the will of God, or that person seeks to do the will of God, but just imperfectly accomplishes it. These are both sinful things. Missing the mark, accidentally or intentionally, is still missing the mark. And any time a creature made in the image of God, and human beings are the pinnacle of such things, sins, there has to be payment. For sin against the infinite God requires infinite payment, but the only infinite payment that we have is our very lives. And as God declares that the lifeblood of the creature is what can make atonement for sin, the only way we can make up for our sin is by the shedding of our blood. But if we die by the shedding of our blood, then we're separated from God. And this is not what he wants. And so God's plan has always been that the Heavenly Father would send the Lord Jesus to earth to live as a perfect, sinless sacrifice. On our behalf, God became man for us. This is Jesus. He lived without sin, and he's the only one who did so, and he died on the cross in our place. You see, we all deserve to be punished for our sin, but Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, and the great cosmic swap, as described in 2 Corinthians 5.21, was laid out. Jesus, having died on the cross, was raised from the dead by the Spirit of God, and anyone who believes 
in his heart or her heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, having died on the cross for our sins, is justified from their sin, saved from their sin, made right with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, now compelled to repent, to confess, to get baptized, to live for God for the rest of his or her days. This is the truth that we know and love. And yet the world is filled with people who do not accept this truth. And in the end, in the last days, there will be terrible times. And those terrible times are precisely precipitated by those who do not believe in the power of God. You see, we believe in this gospel, but there are other people who do not. And the terrible times that come in the last days occur between the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the second coming of Jesus. And we are in that stretch of time right now. We are in that stretch of time. And so when you look around, this is not merely a prophetic thing about things to come. You can look and you can see that these are in fact observations about things that are. Things that are. But in order for us to truly understand the times, in order for us to understand the terrible times in which we live, these last days, and to understand how those without the Spirit of God are contrasted with those who have the Spirit of God, it all comes down to our mind. God is keen for us to think well. He has always been keen for us to think well. In the Old Testament book of Hosea, chapter 14, verse 9, God asks this question. Who is wise? Let him realize these things. Who is discerning? Let him understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. God understands that we need to realize. We need to understand. We need to be wise. We need to be discerning. But if we are not discerning, if we are not wise, if we do not use our minds to carefully consider the culture in which we live, to consider the times in which we exist, then we will be destined to fall captive to the devil's trap, just as those who oppose the truth are in his trap. After all, the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but it is the rebellious who stumble in them. Consider the ways of God. Those who walk in them versus those who stumble in them. That's how you can tell who is embracing God and who is rejecting God. Well, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, these words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. And here it is. But we have the mind of Christ. Who's the wise? Who's the discerning? The only way that you can understand the spiritual things of God is by the Spirit of God within you. Without the Spirit of God, you cannot fully understand or adjudicate the times around you. The truth that is within you. You cannot figure these things out. Because they are only discerned through the Spirit but we have the mind of Christ. We with the Spirit have the mind of Christ, therefore are able to discern the truth, and therefore can with the apostle say in, first, or in Philippians chapter one rather, verses nine and 10, this prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best 
and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. After all, we're living in the last days, and the day of Christ marks the end of that. It's the resurrection to the second coming, and we are smack dab in the middle of that. Perhaps today the Lord will return, but we are in the last days, and as we await the final day of Christ, we want to be blameless. We want to be pure. And the only way we can do that is by discerning what is best. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in us. So we can get the job done. We can get the job done. It doesn't just have to be a series of 19 negative things. Oh, and there are many, many negative things. But we can get the job done. We can understand the truth. And we can impact this world for good. For the best. And so, ultimately, what I think we do with this text today is lay out the great comparison. And that great comparison is in two categories. And those categories are simply those with depraved minds, as described in uh, verse 5 of chapter 3, and those with the mind of Christ. This is the comparison. Those with depraved minds and those with the mind of Christ. Now, chapter 3, verse 5 talks about those men who have depraved minds, these false teachers. And here's the result of their false teaching. They're motivated by self. When you consider this list of 19 imperatives, 19 descriptions that the apostle uses, think about some of them. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, all these can be described as selfish. These are all motivated by the self. In the Christian life, the self is not to be aggrandized or placed on the throne. The self is to be obliterated. And yet those with depraved minds lean into the self entirely. Oh, you see this today. We live in a selfie culture. Everybody wants to have selfies. Everybody wants to be at the center of everything. It's not good enough that you just take pictures of other things. You have to take pictures of other things and yourself. You have to be in the middle. We are a selfie-obsessed culture. We love self. And self is at the very heart of everything on this list. Lovers of themselves starts it off. Lovers of money, we're selfish, proud, abusive, unholy. Lovers of self. Everything is about self, self, self. Oh, you should do what you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. You can take care of it. Maybe God made you to smash you. Did you ever consider that? Maybe you're not the article of gold or silver that is destined to be held and looked at beautifully, maybe you are created to display God's glory by being smashed. As the clay, we are not allowed to say to the potter, you can't make me into something just to smash me. Yes, he can. If that's how he wants to display his glory in my life, Smash away. And let me explode so perfectly for God's glory that people around me will see the truth. Get out of your own way. Self is the problem. Self is the problem. And the great physician has a prescription for the disease of self. 
And everything on Paul's list, verses 2 through 5, 19 concepts, they are all summed up in the one word, self. And do you know what the great physician says for the illness of self? His prescription is simple. Luke 9.23, take up your cross daily. Kill yourself. Spiritually speaking, of course, for if you were to take up your cross, that would exactly happen once physically and then you would be dead. But if you take up your cross daily, clearly Jesus is talking about the spiritual realm. And that means those with the mind of Christ are motivated by the Spirit. We all have selfish desires. Every single one of us has a desire to do what we want to do. Selfishness is a part of us. And even when we become Christian men and women with the mind of Christ, there is still a self that exists. That's why God can say, love your neighbor as yourself. That's why God can say all kinds of things about getting out of your own way, but you are still the one who allows God to control yourself. Self still exists, but you have to obliterate and kill your selfish desires and instead replace them with spiritual desires. All of us want to sin. Of course we do. But we also, with the mind of Christ, want to do what God wants. So, if we allow our spiritual desires to overcome our selfish desires and we take up our cross daily and we say, even though I want to do all these sinful things, I'm just going to die to sin and self today and I'm going to let God live through me, that's what having the mind of Christ is. And that's what it means to be motivated by the Spirit rather than motivated by the self. This is a major difference between those with depraved minds and those with the mind of Christ. Now the next difference is that those with depraved minds appear religious. They look like they're religious. They do a lot of the work that religious people tend to do. There's a lot of legalistic tendencies. You see them checking a lot of boxes. You see them doing a lot of things. And they appear religious. Oh yes, yes. It's easy to appear religious in this world, but it's not easy to live in the spirit. You see, it's very easy to be religious. One of the ways you can be religious is just to, well, go to church all the time and never actually live in the Spirit. People think you're in because you go. You go to the buildings, right? You hang out with the people. But you're not actually living in the power of the Spirit because what happens is people think we have a spirit of timidity and they shrink back. But God says, no, I've given you the gift of power, love, and self-discipline. That's what the Holy Spirit delivers, And so it is the person who lives in the spirit that demonstrates power, love, and self-discipline. Self still exists, but you have to be disciplined rather than selfish. Do you see how it happens? Those with depraved minds are selfish, and those with the mind of Christ are self-disciplined. You live in the power of the spirit. You don't just appear religious. You are a spirit-led man or woman of God. Now, here's what you should do with those who are of depraved minds. Avoid them. Avoid them. Have nothing to do with such people. Now this is pretty scary. And this may seem like it contradicts what Paul said in chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, where Paul says, opponents must gently be instructed in the hope that God will lead them to repentance and a knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses and in so doing, escape the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. And that's why there's a separation. There are those who have depraved minds and they are those who have already gently been instructed and said, no, no. There are people who are confused. There are people who are opponents of the truth. And when you gently instruct them, there are people who would say, now, the Bible doesn't really say that you shouldn't be able to do this, that, or the other and pick whatever sin you want. 
And then you gently instruct them and you say, actually, the Bible does say that. And here's God's ethic for sexuality or here's God's ethic for political issues or here's God's ethic for life. And then you gently instruct them on the truth. And if they say, no, no, God doesn't mean that. God's got to get with the times. God's got to get with it. And so I say no to that, and in fact, I place my sinful desire ahead of Christ, and now I am, whatever you want, an abortionist Christian, an LGBTQ plus Christian, a, a politically mean Christian. I don't care, whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is. If you say, this is what I am, all right, you've been gently instructed. Now it's time to move on to the next person. Have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with them. But you know what you are supposed to do with those with the mind of Christ? Commune with them. Follow them. Lead them. Fellowship with them. Commune with them. Live with them in community. Be together. Let them encourage you as you encourage them and as you grow together in Christ-likeness. If you want to do something interesting sometime, do a Bible study on the phrase one another or each other. And you'll see in the New Testament how often those with the mind of Christ are called to help others with the mind of Christ. Encourage one another, admonish one another, sing with one another. We're supposed to do all these things together in community. That's what we're supposed to do. But those with depraved minds will do nothing but corrupt us. Have nothing to do with them because they have been rejected by the faith. And that's what our text says. Concerning the faith, rejected. The traditional Apostles' Creed teaching, the Apostles' teaching, as described in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where the early church devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. The Apostles' teaching rejects those with depraved minds. Because having heard the truth, they have elected to choose sinfulness to define their lives. Godlessness. Unholy. That's how they're described. And they're rejected by the faith. Not just by you. We don't just avoid them. It's the faith itself that rejects them. But those with the mind of Christ are embraced by the faith. Even though they stumble. Do you understand that? Sometimes we always stumble. Even though Hosea 14, 9 says, oh yes, those who understand are supposed to walk in the ways of the Lord, everybody stumbles. But when we stumble and we still acknowledge the ways of the Lord are right and we repent and we get back up again and we move forward in the power of Christ as the Holy Spirit leads us on the path towards Christ-likeness, oh, that's where we have forgiveness. That's where we have mercy and grace on the human level for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice how those with depraved minds are described as unforgiving. Those with the mind of Christ forgive their brothers and sisters when they repent. I'm going to sin. I'm going to mess up. I just know it and I hate it. I don't want to. But when I do, I'm going to repent and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bank on your forgiveness. And I'm going to issue forgiveness if you sin against me. Because God has forgiven us and we have not declared that we will put self in front of Christ. No, no, no. We will put Christ in front of ourselves. We will get out of the way. And this is really, really important that we do because 
Those with depraved minds aren't just rejected by the faith, they're the ones who reject God's word. They say, no, God's word has to change. No, God's, God's word doesn't mean that. No, God's word is different than you think. And what they will do is seek to argue, ever learning without able the ability to come to a knowledge of the truth. Oh, we live in a day and age where lots of people are ever learning. We have more access to more information faster than anybody has ever had in the history of humanity. Everybody has the entire Bible in like a hundred different translations in your pocket. Everybody has the entire encyclopedia in your pocket. You have more information closer than people in the past have ever had. And yet, we don't ever seem to come to a knowledge of the truth. Instead, you know what we do? We do things like this. Hmm. If people get too old and are useless, it's okay for us to kill them. If, if people are not out of the womb yet, we don't even have to consider them people, and we can kill them. Oh, ah, it's okay if you want to have a sexual ethic that's completely devoid of God's word because God is actually okay with that. And we lie and say things like that. And there are authors who propel these lies. They reject God's word. There are people who say, you know what? We need to fight about whether or not we should um, protest or not. And we love to have lots of fights about this. You realize that you are supposed to disobey the government if the government commands what God, for, what God forbids or forbids what God commands. And pretty much otherwise, you're supposed to do what the government says. Now, if our government says, oh, you have got the First Amendment and you're allowed to peacefully protest, then knock your socks off. Go for it. Have fun with that. But where does it ever say that protests are supposed to be peaceful? In the government, in the law, in the First Amendment, very clearly. So... You're allowed to protest, protest peacefully. And if not, then you've stepped across the line. But we like to say, no, 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 no. There are some people who say, you know what we can do? Forget the government. We don't have to submit to the government. Our, really, because the Bible does say that you're supposed to do exactly that, submit to the government. And we love to fight about things. And we reject the word of God if we have depraved minds. But you know what we do if we have the mind of Christ? We embrace God's word. And embracing God's, God's word might be this. Okay, God... I kind of want to do these sinful things and I kind of want to murder these people or I kind of want to sleep with those people or I kind of want to do whatever I want. So here's what I'm going to do because this is what I want more. I'm going to die. I'm going to take up my cross and die. That's what I'm going to do. Now, I want to do what I want to do, but what I want to do more is what you want me to do. And so I'm going to let your word speak and I'm going to let your word call the shots because your word is the infallible and inspired truth and it will dictate my life. After all, on the pillar of the gospel, it says, the Lord knows who are his, and all those who call on the Lord will obey him. Okay, all right, so I call on you as Lord and Savior, and now I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. And even though I might want to do this sinful thing, I'm going to die today and let you pick. It's okay to embrace God's word and just take up your cross daily and die to sin. You know that, right? That's in fact the prescription. But we live in a world where we're told, no, we shouldn't have to do that. Well, that's because we live in a world where there are people with depraved minds. But their evidence, their, their folly will be evident to all. Eventually, it's all gonna fall apart. 
You recognize that stupid ideas pressed long and hard enough eventually all come out as stupid. You know that, right? Like, it always happens. Oh, we've got a great idea. What we do is kill people who don't convert. All right, you just keep pressing that idea to the edge. Eventually, it falls right off because that's stupid. That's no way to gain converts. That's only a way to gain people who hate you and are lying. Here's what we're going to do. If you sin, we're going to kill you. Eventually, everybody starts to recognize how dumb that is. Oh, oh, so a little girl was uh, married at 12 into a horrible, horrible, awful situation, left, and then was beheaded because of that by the time she was 17. Oh, oh, see, oh, oh, in one culture that might be considered an honor killing. It's honorable. That's folly, and that's evident to anybody with a mind of reason. And you recognize, oh, that's horrible. Life shouldn't be that way. That's not how you're supposed to operate. And so we use reason and we use the spirit and we use the word and intellect and wisdom and discernment to figure out what is folly and to figure out what is holy. For the evident, or the holiness should be evident to all those observing those with the mind of Christ. If you have the mind of Christ, your holiness should be evident to all. Yes, you're separate. You're different. You might even be considered weird. Now, those guys are weird. They're nice to everyone. Great, good. I I love to be called weird by being nice to people. That's terrific. Now, nice doesn't mean you accept every bad, foolish, sinful thing. No, quite the opposite. It means you can tell them with a smile, that's not right, and God's word has a better way. That can still be nice. It's grace and truth, not just grace, not just truth. It's both. So let your evidence be holiness, or your uh, holiness be evident to all, rather. The way you live should be different from the world. It should be separate. It should be different. And the world should see you as different. Now, not judgy and not judgmental and not looking down on the world for not living the way you live. For after all, those without the mind of Christ are not expected to live like those with the mind of Christ. But those who are opponents to the truth are to be gently instructed in hopes that they will come to repentance, come to their senses, and escape the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. That's how last chapter ended. Chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. Now we're in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And the way it ends is exactly that way. We want people to escape the will of the devil. We want them to, truly. And so if I had to sum up in everything, those with depraved minds versus those with the mind of Christ, here's how I sum up those with depraved minds. Satan willed, culture compelled, self-led. Now, when I say Satan willed, I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm not. I'm quoting the word of God from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. They have been taken into the trap of the devil, captive to do his will. Yes, those with depraved minds are exactly Satan willed. They are doing the will of Satan, the will of the devil. They are in his trap and they are fighting the cosmic war against God Almighty and those who rally around him. They are our opponents. They are our enemies. Now that doesn't mean we hate them. In fact, we are called to love them. And yet, they are doing the will of Satan. 
That is exactly what they're doing. And they are compelled by the culture. They are culture compelled. That's what compels them. What do they love? What the culture tells them. You want to have an experiment on culture compulsion tonight? Watch the Super Bowl ads. I dare you. And you will see a culture compelling people to such insanity and depravity and ungodliness. And it will be marketed with fun music and pretty girls and scantily clad men and women and excellent friends and lots of people. And there will also be a heavy dose of shame. For you will be made to feel shameful for embracing biblical principles. You will be made to feel shameful for embracing what God says about race or gender or sex or public displays of well, protest? You'll be made to feel ashamed tonight. You'll also be made to be snookered. You'll be tricked. And you'll be told, um, if you don't have this, your life is incomplete. And you'll recognize that you have to drink this particular beer, otherwise your life will never be good. You have to eat this kind of chip, otherwise your life will not be good. Why do I have the wrong chips here for Super Bowl snacks? And you'll be told, wrong chips. These are the chips you have to have. Oh, and if your life is not very healthy, that's all right because there will be 18 different medications for all sorts of different problems that you have that the world can fix. Just give it a chance and the culture will compel you. Imagine being a little kid or a person who is not discerning, no matter the age, watching the Super Bowl ads. Advertising is convincing, which is why it has worked so well for so long. Yeah, those with depraved minds are exactly culture compelled. But, see, here's the thing. It's self-led. It's self-led. That's the power that motivates everything. It's, it's self. It's selfishness. You want to be boss. You want to be lord. The person without the mind of Christ wants to be Lord of his life. And they, this person might even reject a particular culture. This person might even say, oh, the devil's fake. And the devil just sits back and laughs and says, yes, keep doing my will, dummy. Keep doing it. For the man who thinks the devil doesn't even exist is squarely in his trap. You know that, right? That's part of rejecting the word of God. And so they are Satan-willed, culture-compelled, self-led. But you, of course, know that those with the mind of Christ are father-willed, Christ-compelled, and spirit-led. Oh, we want to do the will of the Father. And if we have the mind of Christ, the will of the Father is very, very clear. It's to give thanks in all circumstances. It's to pray without ceasing. And it's to believe in the one he sent. For in so doing, the one he sent will raise us up at the last day. This is the will of the Heavenly Father. And we want Christ's love to compel us, just as 2 Corinthians 5.14 tells us. For the love of Christ compels us, and just as he loved us enough to die on the cross for us, so that example of love compels us to be all things to all people, so that by all means, we might win some. We're not going to get them all. But Christ's love will compel our actions. And we will be spirit-led. And those who are led by the Spirit never shrink back in timidity. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, 
and self-discipline. And as we grow in our spiritual power and express that love to a lost and dying world by reflecting the light of Christ to everyone we know and by demonstrating self-control and mastery over our own bodies, over our own lives, by dying daily to sinful, selfish desires, we train ourselves to be godly. We grow in Christ-likeness and we become men and women who are holy and separate and different from the world. We don't need to do what the world does. Instead, we need to do as Christ did and as he compels and as the Spirit leads, which is the will of the Father. That's what we need to do. And that's what we can do. Together, as we commune with one another, our brothers and sisters who have the mind of Christ, we can gently reach out to those who oppose and explain. And those who reject and make their choice by disowning God, don't worry, he will disown them. It's not for us to have things to do with them. We explain the truth lovingly. And if they continue to deprave themselves, to be depraved men of minds, then we have nothing to do with them. We don't have time for that. We need one another. We need a community. We need to grow with one another. So here's what I would love for you to do this week to grow. First, I'd like for you to read 2 Timothy chapter 3 three more times this week. It's Sunday. By next Sunday, read 2 Timothy 3 at least three times. Read the whole chapter at least three times. Get prepared for Chris's sermon next week. I want you to be ready to go. I want you to be thinking about what's coming. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And then I want you to contemplate. I want you to contemplate how those with depraved minds differ from those with the mind of Christ. I want you to just think about that. I want you to think real deep and hard. Those who have depraved minds, those who have the mind of Christ, how are they different? I want you to ponder that. I want you to contemplate and meditate upon it all week long. There is a big difference, and you'll see it if you're looking. And then I want you to pray. I want you to pray for increased discernment of both spiritual wickedness and Christian goodness. I want you to be able to discern the difference. As you watch the Super Bowl ads, or as you watch TV, or as you read the paper, or as you just go to work, or go to school, or hang out in the culture, I want you to be praying to God for discernment so that you can identify what is spiritual wickedness and what is Christian goodness. I want you to grow wise and grow discerning. I want you to embrace the mind of Christ. And I want you to be able to discern what is best. Ask him for the ability to do so. Ask him. He'll give it to you. And last, I want you to strengthen your connection with Father-willed, Christ-compelled, and Spirit-led people. Now, there are some ways you could do that. Here are a couple of them. Hang out with Father-willed, Christ-compelled, Spirit-led people after church. Don't just go home. Go to lunch with your friends. Go to a Super Bowl party tonight with Christian men and women. Hang out with them. Or how about this? Sunday, that's a great day, but Wednesday is also a great day. Wednesday at 2, I've got prayer time right here at the church. Anybody who's off work or retired or wants to just come out and hang out and pray with me, we pray. I do my little Devo for the camera. I turn it off and then we talk for another hour about prayer requests and we pray together. It's super fun. I'd love to have you. Or how about Wednesday night? Oh, you're a lady? Perfect. Ladies group. Oh, you're a guy? Awesome. Men's group. Oh, you're a kid? Terrific. We got stuff from babies all the way up to high schoolers. Once you're out of high school, come to the men's group or the ladies group. Oh, there's stuff for you to do. 
Oh, maybe your conversational discipleship group hasn't even been getting the emails because I'm bad at tech. All right, thanks for telling me. I'll do a better job getting them all out to you. You can hang out with Christian men and women and just talk about God stuff. Call somebody who's got the mind of Christ and go to get coffee this week. Go get lunch. Go finally do lunch with somebody who's wanted to hang out and have lunch with you and finally get to go talk about existentialism or any cool thing. Go do something. Hang out with father-willed, Christ-compelled, spirit-led believers and strengthen that relationship. For if you do, you will have more ability to grow in the power of the Spirit. Would you pray with me?